she came up to me and she says, so I hear you're an artist. And my response to it was like, I, I had never been accused of being an artist, you know, and it, it caught me by surprise that she said something to the effect, oh, I guess it must be a hobby. Always remember what it was that made you do the thing you love to do. What's up? This is Culture Hustlers. I am your host, Lucas Spidey, uh, BFA, MBA, drifting across the U.S. I'm interviewing artists, designers, performers, writers, makers, and other entrepreneurs on how they hustle a living by selling culture. So, do you know how to make a living while making art? Hmm. Well, apply to our cohort by December 2nd. More details at culturehustlers.com. All right, so this podcast is recorded inside a mobile incubator. What's a mobile incubator, Lucas? Uh, it is a rolling recording studio that I built by hand. It's quite beautiful. In fact, I dare say it is a work of mobile public art that I've taken to campuses, city parks, co-working spaces, and festivals all across the U.S. And today, for this episode, we are installed in Kansas City. We were invited by our sponsors over at Artist Inc. and Mid-America Arts Alliance to come to Kansas City where we gathered together over 60 art community leaders. So we rolled up the mobile incubator, we put out the flamingos, the astroturf, we opened the door, and we threw a big-ass party or two where we could ask this incredible assembly of art leaders one very important question. What kind of art do you make? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We hate that question. Artists are tired of getting that question. We're tired of talking about that question. Instead of asking, what kind of art do you make? We said, hey, we know you make art, but what made you into an artist? What made me, me? What made me? What made me? Man, so many influences and people. What made me, me is a series of very confusing events. What made you, you? What created the creator, right? What made you a maker? And the answers were all over the place. Failure, faking it, and sacrifice. What makes me me is... Ambition and energy and drive and dreams. Alcohol denial and violence. A young mother's love. A fuck ton of privilege. Having existential crises. Really what made me is blind ambition. And I believe what made me me is my sensitivity. One of the things that made me is that entrepreneurial spirit. The thing that made me me was... My Polish ski coach and a little bit of amnesia. Well, we recorded 60 different artists, but for the brevity of this podcast, we're going to settle in on a couple reoccurring storylines. And for this, I picked out a main character for us to follow. Uh, my name is Jose Faust, the artist in the full sense of the word, not specific to just one area. And I was originally from Colombia, South America, born in Bucaramanga and lived most of that in Bogota. Can you tell us (laughs) (laughs) um, what made you a creative person? Well, um, I didn't know I was making art when I realized the power of art. And I can trace it to a class that was in elementary school. Um, We were doing an assignment. The teacher had us write something. And I'll I'll never forget, um, I wrote a phrase that basically said, and he rose up in the saddle and wheeled about. I don't know why I remember that line, but it's never forgotten it. And I remember the teacher stopped after I had finished because she forced us to read it. 
And then she repeated it to people. And it's just, isn't that amazing? This is how you build stories, something to that effect. When did you first start calling yourself an artist or a poet? I was working at a restaurant. I used to, I was going to college at that time, university, and I would always bring my art materials with me because my night shift, um, I would take it, I would go work right after I got out of class. Um, and I would hang my stuff up on the lockers. They gave us lockers. So people knew I was, in, I was studying art. And I remember we had a chef that came in. She came up to me and she says, so I hear you're an artist. And my response to it was like I, I had never been accused of being an artist. You know, and it, it caught me by surprise. That, a, nobody had ever called me an artist. And the way it came out was almost like an accusation. That, but I didn't have an answer. And I remember her tone after that was a little dismissive. She said something to the effect, oh, I guess it must be a hobby. And she turned and went back away. It wasn't in any mean sort of way, but I, I just couldn't speak to say anything. And I remember after work, I went home and it troubled me. That whole freaking day, I was like sitting there pissed off that I hadn't been able to answer that. And so when I went to work that night, I specifically sought her out and she was there, thank God. Um, and I went up to her in a private moment and I said, you know, Bonnie, you asked me this question and I got to tell you, nobody had ever accused me of it. So I wasn't prepared to acknowledge yes or no, but yes, I am an artist. So this is a very common story. In fact, this is basically what every creative person goes through. You're recognized for your creativity early, maybe a teacher like Jose, you explore that creativity, and then you encounter your first doubter, your first hater, your first imposter syndrome. And many of the artists who came in to the mobile incubator described that same moment of doubt and of proceeding anyway. This one moment that I remember, the gist of it is, uh, I'm totally alone here. And I kind of felt like, man, I don't belong here. Mine is always kind of being in that Venn diagram between and kind of feeling like an outsider. I always knew that I wanted to be an artist, and my story really had more to do with um, accepting that that was okay. And uh, what made me... Um the short answer is pain from my mother. I remember her burning my drawings as I was growing up. So whatever art supplies I had, those were all destroyed. Because they told me I couldn't be an artist. But after a few years, I couldn't deal with that. I needed the creativity back in my life. You, your identity, you've, you've learned who you are. You seem like someone who's in custody of their story. Mm-hmm. Someone who knows that they are an artist, that they are a poet, and that they can make that work. Mm -hmm. You don't seem scared. Always remember what it was that made you do the thing you love to do. The other thing is I've also had the eureka moment, right? And my feeling about life is that we spend our lives trying to have those eureka moments. And the sad thing about it is that we've reduced life to forget that sometimes the most ordinary thing is the most eureka moment there is. Be open. That eureka moment is right underneath you. Eureka moments are crucial to being a creator. And Jose's story points out that you don't earn the eureka moment. These are things that are coming to you. And that is how you receive them. They're signposts that you're on the correct path for you. And his point is that you only need to show up as yourself to receive that moment. And here's another example from one of our interviews with Rachel Daisy. She was a photographer living on a school bus with several other artists. And her life took a surprising turn with just one small 
moment. I have this very distinct memory of I made three little friendship bracelets and I took them out to a lady who was making fresh tamales on the street and I asked her if she would want to trade a tamale for this friendship bracelet and she picked one of them out and she loved it and we laughed and my Spanish was like super rough still at that time but we had this very deep connection and I just totally fell in love with the art of commerce. One of of my favorite quotes is the magic you're looking for is in the work you're avoiding. Oh man. (laughs) And that you always are able to tap into that magic. That the magic you're looking for is an acceptance that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And suddenly the spark is there Mm -hmm. when you didn't believe it would be. Oh yeah. I I, I think about um, maybe it's a function of getting older. I mean, I never really, I, I think about my mortality. I, I'm, a, I'm aware of it because I've been thinking a lot about time. And I said, you know, it's interesting when I sit and reflect on how fast this year has gone by. But when I sit and engage in the moment I'm in right now, time slows down. And it just feels like I'm living. When this podcast comes out, there will be people listening to this who say, yeah, but Jose, I, I messed up or I don't have the past that I need. And what that is speaking to is that someday I'll make it. Mm-hmm. Or if only I had done the work already in the past, I would have made it by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it doesn't matter how much I accept my present moment, I'll never be happy. Mm-hmm. There's this a really bad disregard of where you're at right now. There are people out there who feel that way. Yeah. Um, what would you say to them? I The only thing I can tell them, I said, you know, because I, I had this moment. I, you know, I, I remember I had a dear friend of mine. He sought me out as a friend because he says, man, I see you walking down the halls and you're like, you walk straight like you know you're comfortable who you are. He didn't know how many insecurities I had. Didn't know anything. I just projected that. Um, but over time, we became good friends and he was... Actually, he was a damn good artist. This was one of those guys that had this just this naturally innate ability to see something and make it happen. And he was a, a, a sculptor. Man, when he started going, I, I would just sit there and marvel and watch the dexterity and the speed with which he could do things. And I always thought he was a really good artist. And then he's thinking, I'm a good artist. And he thinks, I've got my act all together. And in fact, I'm looking at him the other way. But it was that sense that he he had missed something. There was something that he just hadn't gotten that would never allow him to make that art. And I remember the more and more he said it, the more and more I began to see it in myself as well. I said, well, how, how can I judge myself as being good when I look at this guy who has all this doubt and he can just blink out art. And I began to uh, uh, embrace what he was projecting. Until finally I told him one day, I said, look, I have to stay away from you, man. I, 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 we can't, this cycle is you drink, you don't take your meds and you're, you're suicidal. And I can't be a part of that because I'm just enabling you by being your voice. And I withdrew because I was beginning to doubt myself. And in withdrawing, um, then I found out he had killed himself. It took me a long time to find myself again. I'm gonna say six, seven months, I began to actually trust who I was again. I had to finally accept the fact that People will have that thing. They will be self-defeating. They'll be their own worst enemy. So that's that's what I would say to somebody that's negative. I, I, I refuse to accept it for myself.
just laid out the stakes for not believing in yourself. Yeah. The stakes for believing that your past is bad or wrong, or wasn't supposed to happen. The stakes of believing that your future that you want could never occur. Mm-hmm. The stakes is absolute despair. Oh, it is. That can drive you to the darkest place. Mm-hmm. So then if you decide <laughs> mm-hmm. to own your past completely and that everything in your life squeezed you in to the direction that you're headed right now to the place that you're mm-hmm. in if you accept that it's kind of a power in that there is a power uh, but as you were saying that I was also reflecting the night the, the more powerful part of that is that every time you have that doubt that creeps back because the doubt comes back no matter how strong you are in yourself the imposter syndrome shows up every now and then all I have to do is say but I've been here before I faced this thing before. This is what got me through with it. And then there's an even harder moment later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Because <laughs> you'll do this again over and over <laughs> the rest of your life. <laughs> Seems funny enough that we think we know things about situations. We think we know things about other people when really we, we hardly or don't at all even know ourselves. And this was the story for poet Jen Harris. I was 27. And I knew better than to be doing what I was doing. I was dating someone I didn't like just to be with somebody. I was in a city I wasn't really in for any particular reason, except I didn't want to be a girl from the Midwest who stayed in the Midwest. I wanted to be someplace queer and adventurous and prove to people that I could make it in a very gold rush mentality. I would tell my younger self, go and stay gone. If I hadn't waited for everything to fall apart to run away, if I had just left and moved and struck out on my own because that's what I had wanted to do and not had to leave because of catastrophe, it could have been a totally different story. Jen's story really shows that journey of finding yourself where you were in the beginning. and. We had another story like this from David Wayne Reed. You know, when I was little, my first inclination was not to be a farmer. It was to be a backup singer, a stripper, or a dancer. That's what I told my dad when he asked me if I wanted to be a farmer, just like him. And I said, no, I want to be those things. And um, so I had a natural desire to perform for people. That came very natural very early. And so when people would come to visit the farm, like seed dealers or, uh, you know, the gas man or you know, harvesters, farmhands. I would I would put a lot of song and dance. I might even dress in my mom's clothes and go out and perform for them on the wagon or, you know, the back patio after a long day's work because I didn't really have the muscle to do the farm work, but I, I could put on a show. That was what I could do. You know, I knew I was already an outsider because I was a homosexual in a small Kansas town, right? You know, I, I knew that from the get-go. I knew from the moment when my dad asked me if I wanted to be a farmer and I said, no, I want to be an artist, I was different. And so it's like, if you're gonna call me a faggot anyway and treat me like an outsider, then it gives me great liberty and freedom to go ahead and explore that. It's like, you can tell me something I don't know? I mean, it really gave me wings. We were kind of talking about how destruction is the first act of creation. You know, I think those um, mean farm boys who called me a faggot, I think they were soothsayers that set me free. 
David's story of growing up in the Midwest and the hardships that he faced there from small town homophobia was not something that held him back in the end, but it was something that he distilled into a creative fuel for himself. Go all out, go, go strong, don't be fearful, don't be weak. You know, you are so much stronger than you ever, ever knew. And you will surprise yourself in ways that you can never even imagine. You will have terrible things happen to you and you will have beautiful, incredible moments and meet magnanimous people who will shift your life in profound ways. Enjoy the ride. So now you've heard these stories on how people get creative with their story, right? The past that they have had, the present situation that they're in, they look at it from a creative mindset. What can I do from this? How can I take a leap forward? So we asked Jose, what was your leap? How did you know that you could make your way in the world as an independent, you oh, know, yes. entrepreneurial or like self-directed hustler grinder? What, what was the moment where you knew that you could self-direct your occupations in life? I'll tell you, man, I, about 24, 25 years ago, I was not doing art. I needed money and I went to work at a law firm, but it was going to be just temporary job. 15 years later, I was still doing that job. Um, a guy came in to talk to us about insurance coverage and he made a comment about how important it was to start thinking about your retirement life and he made this comment he says you know right now is when you need to start thinking and saving for that moment in your life when you reach 60 or 65 and you quit because at that point is when you will be able to live your life well that message in combination with the feelings I was having just came all crystal clear to me. If retirement was the time when you actually could do and live the life you wanted to live, I was going to retire. And I remember sitting there with my uh, my ex, and we're having some drinking some wine. And I just looked at her and I said, "You know, why am I going back to work tomorrow?" And uh, she asked me, well, "What did you want to do?" I says, "Well, I still want to do art." And so I told her then and there. Says, "I think I'm going to quit this job." Well, that's very inspiring that you would share that someone came in to talk about retirement and finally doing what you want to do after you've done what you needed to do and your lesson from that was begin doing begin. what you want to do don't wait because you'll you know what's the guarantee you'll be around in 25 years to do what you want i mean i would still be working at the law firm if i followed that advice i wouldn't even have done any of the things it never would have made total sense None. to leave no. <laughs> no. but it but it made emotional sense Just to be upfront here, we at Culture Hustlers are not in the vein of giving emotional advice. In fact, we beg of you to take heed against making overly emotional, irrational, or non-businessy decisions. But the very foundation of being an artist, being a creator, being an entrepreneur or a trailblazer is that it must make emotional sense to you. So much of the journey is overcoming self-doubt. The imposter syndrome and then other people's doubt the haters remember when you hear the words so i hear you're an artist your answer is simple yes i am an artist yep that's me so plan and proceed accordingly to that commitment let's build a business plan together our application for the culture hustlers cohort is due december 2nd with a new cohort starting every few months this is a cohort of creative driven hustlers from around the world 
and we build a profitable business together over 12 months. If you're curious, go to culturehustlers.com where you can check out a trial membership and see the first month's lesson plan. Big thanks to Tan Maing, one of our current students who recorded the audio for this podcast. And bonus, he directed a documentary version for YouTube. Check that out. Big thanks to Mid-America Arts Alliance and Artist Inc. for sponsoring this episode. Much, much love to Lisa Cordes, the badass artist advocate in Buku. Thank you to Corey for storing the mobile incubator on your amazing urban farm in KC. You can follow the stories of the Mobile Incubator on Instagram and Facebook at Culture Hustlers with more podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Our theme is by Otis McDonald. Our music today is by Dan Leibowitz, Tours, Pottington Bear, and Sajeda Domino. If you like this episode on origin stories, I want you to check out my friend Tamar's podcast, The Lonely Palette. In particular, her episode, Artists of Camberville, where she describes her journey to making her hit podcast that brings art history to the masses. I want you to bring your unique gifts to the masses. The big lesson is don't wait. And this is Lucas Spivey wishing you lots of love from Kansas City. Yeah, that's what makes me me. You know, the, the first step is saying that you have something to say and that you get to own that. My family made me who I am. We're like cockroaches. We will survive anywhere we go. We will, you know, anywhere we go, and we will adapt. That was a really weird answer. <laughs> I know, that's terrible. <laughs> Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.